A message that I entitled, Hear, Work, Walk, and Wash. Hear, Work, Walk, walk and Wash. And we're going to find all these things in the next couple of chapters, really dealing with uh, the instructions, the instructions that God gave to Moses at this point. In the book of Exodus, Moses is still up on the mountain. Back in chapter 20, he received the Ten Commandments from the Lord. But he's been receiving information, putting it down, uh, the plans for the tabernacle, the specifications as uh, in the trades, we would have blueprints and specifications. The blueprints would show you what you needed to do, the specs would simply give greater detail. And we've had a greater detail of all that God wanted constructed by the children of Israel. As far as the tabernacle last week, looking at the making of the garments of the high priest and Aaron's four sons, the priest that would follow after him. So the regular priest and the high priest, the garments here, God is instructing Moses about the consecration of Aaron and his sons to be the priest over Israel. And we'll actually read about that consecration when we get to Leviticus chapter 8. And it's almost repeating a lot of what we're looking at here in our text in Exodus 29. So Exodus 29 is God telling Moses, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And then in Leviticus chapter 8, we will find them following the Lord's command in detail and really repeating a bit of what we're going to look at tonight. And we'll, we'll give a glimpse over to Leviticus chapter 8 and a couple of verses as well to get a greater picture of what we're looking at tonight. But I titled Exodus 29, Hear, Work, and Wash. So God wanted his priests to hear from him to do the work of ministry and to walk in God's way. And I'll explain that, what I think is in a very unique way. And it really hit home to me many years ago when my neighbor shared with me how he stopped reading the Bible when he came to Exodus chapter 29. And he put it down for over a year because of something he read in this chapter. And when he told me what it was, I instantly explained to him the meaning of it. And uh, he's walking with the Lord. He's a good guy today. But this chapter stumped him. And I'll explain that to you when we get to it. I've been trying to have key verses in each of these chapters. I picked chapter 20, and this will give you the hint of the title Hearing, working, and washing. In Exodus 29:20, it says, Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And so this is a significant verse of uh, part of the consecration of Aaron and his sons to be priests over Israel, and they were to have a perpetual priesthood, according to verses 1 through 9. Remember, God is instructing. We'll actually read about the consecration in Leviticus chapter 8, but this is the instructions that God gave to Moses while he was there on Mount Sinai. And this is what you shall do to them, to hollow them, For ministry to me as priests, take one bull, one young bull, two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and you shall make them of wheat flour. And you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the two bulls and two rams, one bull and two rams, sorry. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water, 
And you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them and you shall gird them with the sash, Aaron and his sons. And you shall put hats on them and the priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. You shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So this is the commandment that the Lord gave to Moses concerning the consecration of the priesthood, the Arianic line of the priesthood. I almost feel the Arianic priesthood. I looked that up. I mean, it sounds correct. But the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints have a lot to say about the Arianic priesthood. I think they believe that they're actually descendants Somehow they had a lot to say about it. So we'll just say uh, the priesthood that came from the line of Aaron and his sons. And this is how it was, even up until the time of Christ. So God gave them instructions. He gave them the Ten Commandments, the various laws, the statutes, the blueprints, the specifications. And it would take us from Exodus chapter 20 all the way through Exodus 31, which we'll be able to look at, Lord willing, next week, until Moses came down off the mountain and stepped into the mess of the golden calf that is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 32. We should be able to see both of those in our study next week. So here in Exodus 29, God gave instructions for the ceremony connected with the consecrating of Aaron and his sons, as described in Leviticus chapter 8. Before they were able to minister before the Lord for the people of Israel, they were to be that go-between between God and his people. And the priests were to minister for in behalf of the people before the Lord God of Israel. They had to be consecrated to serve the Lord, to hollow them in the ministry of the priesthood. And this ceremony would include the offering of a, a young bull and two rams. And also uh, this wheat flour breads. He described unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, unleavened wafers that had been anointed with oil. And after they were ceremonially washed, and this was not, I'm sure they bathed before they came to this event, but there was the ceremonial washing. We saw one of these in Israel when we were there. Not the bronze laver that we'll read about in chapter 30. But we saw uh, there in Israel where they had unearthed underneath uh, some of the homes in Israel today in the old city. They had unearthed back to the time of Christ and found a ceremonial washing pool in this house that was believed to be connected to the priest where it was literally, it was like a baptistry. They had stairs going down and stairs going up and they were just, I guess, kind of a quick wash, just walk in and walk out. But it wasn't bathing in the sense of taking a bath, but this ceremonial washing that had to take place to symbolize the cleansing of themselves as they came to the presence of the Lord. But the water wasn't sufficient to bring about the cleansing. That was the provision of the young bull to be a sin offering for them. And then the two rams also offering uh, made in their behalf. So after they were ceremonially washed, they were clothed in their priestly garments. Aaron in the garments of the high priest with his turban and the crown, which uh, basically was explained to us last week in Exodus 28:36. The crown was a golden plate that went on his turban that was engraved with the words holiness to the Lord. And they were reminded by their clothing, by the turbans that they wore, that they were in service to God. Exodus 28:36. you shall make a plate of gold 
and engrave on it like the engraving engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And Exodus 28:40, for Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So they were serving Israel as the priest of Israel before the holy God that had delivered them. So all the garments worn by the Old Testament priests, they were symbolic of being set apart for the work that God had called them to. The work of ministry that the Lord had called them to was signified by the garments. They had a dress code code that they had to wear. In Exodus 28:43, it tells us they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come to the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar of, to minister in the holy place that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So they had to put on the priestly garb. When they came and ministered before the Lord, if not, God said, you might die. So today I would think we'd have some hip pastors thinking, no, I don't have to dress that way. I can I can uh, make my hair stand up and wear some skinny jeans and be really cool. Even though I'm 60 years old, my jeans aren't skinny and my hair doesn't stand up. But I used to stand it up pretty well. Anyways, we have those hipsters, pastors that think, well, we'll relate to the people better. They had no option. They had to wear what the Lord had required of them. Now, thankfully, the Lord doesn't require of the preachers and pastors today of a special dress code. But I explained last week as I was preaching, my dad had his own dress code when he was a pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And Sunday morning, it was suit and tie. Sunday evening services, it was sport coat and tie. And Wednesday evening, he relaxed and he didn't wear a tie, but he had a sports coat on. So he had his dress code. And I guess we all have uh, what we feel is appropriate when we come and worship the Lord. So according to Exodus 29.9, All the priests were to be descendants of Aaron. That is until Christ. Christ was not of the line of Aaron, not of the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. He was of the kingly line. And that is why the author of Hebrews kind of gives us an insight to this, saying that though Christ is the high priest unto God, the great high priest, he doesn't come in the line of Aaron, in Hebrews 5, verses 9 and 10, saying, Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, by called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so Jesus coming in a different order, actually from the tribe of Judah, the kingly line, but also a priestly line, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we learned about Melchizedek back in the book of Genesis. So the offering of consecration, we'll see if we read every word, but we're going to find these offerings of consecration that came in three separate offerings, that of the offering of the young bull, and then the first ram, and then the second ram. Before offering the bull and the two rams, Aaron and his sons, they had to place their hands on the heads of these animals that they might identify themselves with their sacrifices. So they were, again, part of the ceremonial process. And this is for anyone who offered a a burnt offering, a peace offering unto the Lord and bring an animal sacrifice to the Lord. They would identify the sacrifice by placing their hand upon the head of the animal, whatever that animal might be. And in verse 10 and 11, it tells us, And you shall have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the bull was 
offered as a sin offering. This bull, the very first offering, was a sin offering for Aaron and his sons. And some of its blood was to be placed on the horns of the altar while the remainder was to be poured out by the altar. And then Moses was to burn a memorial portion of the bull upon the offering altar while the rest of the uh, the portions was to be burned outside the camp. We're going to see in the third offering of the second ram that Moses would receive a portion for officiating uh, the ceremony. He would have his portion of that ram. Aaron and their sons would receive a portion of the breast. They call it a wave offering. And they would wave the offering before the Lord, but then it was turned over to Aaron and his sons that they could uh, commune, they could eat the offering before the Lord, have communion with the Lord. But the sin offering was not a communion offering. The sin offering, you did not uh, partake of it. Uh, The priest who would offer a sin offering didn't get to take a section of it home as part of his payment. It was either burned up on the altar or burned outside the camp because it was a sin offering to the Lord. And so the detailed procedure that was used in offering the sacrifices to God really teaches us about the cost of our sins. Whether intentional or unintentional, as we see the great cost that Jesus paid in our behalf when he went to the cross, Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. This sin offering, what wasn't burned up on the altar, would be burned up outside the camp of Israel. Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. And only by identifying with the Lord, his death, burial, and resurrection, can we have forgiveness of sin. So Hebrews 13:12 tells us, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So we see a little bit of connection with these offerings. As we read in verses 10 and 11 about taking the bull and Aaron and his sons, putting their hands on the head of the bull and Moses killing the bull at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then I'll just read the verses, verses 12 through 14. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So we'll read of one of the rams being a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. But this is not. It is a sin offering. And Christ, we identify in a sense that he took our sins upon him there on the cross that we might find forgiveness through the Lord. So we too must identify with Christ like Aaron and his sons had to identify with this young bull. In verses 15 through 18, we have the first ram that's offering offered. This is called a burnt offering. In verse 18, a burnt offering to the Lord, a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. And once again, the laying on of hands to identify themselves with this ram. And the burnt offering was wholly burned up, consumed on the altar. And it's significant because it was to signify the worshiper's desire to be wholly committed to God, wholly consecrated to God. Verses 15 through 18, we read, You also shall take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. And you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. You shall burn it, the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the burnt offering... And we'll read about the burn, we'll read about all the offerings, the sin offering, 
trespass offering, the uh, peace offerings, the burnt offering, the offering of consecration. We'll read about all these in the book of Leviticus and really get into detail. But here it speaks of the worshiper's desire to be wholly consecrated to the Lord. As that animal was wholly burned upon the altar, in total obedience to the Lord, they desired to wholly give their lives to the Lord. And this is what Jesus, again, did for us when he went to the cross. In total obedience to God his Father. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves in order that we as worshipers could have our sins atoned for. And thus Jesus paid the price of our sins that we might dedicate ourselves, our lives to God. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter writes to us saying, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, like the aimless conducts, conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, and but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. And so this was a burnt offering, the first ram. The second ram was the ram of consecration, verses 19 through 25. The second ram, in addition to its blood being sprinkled all around the altar, it was also placed on Aaron and his sons, their right ears, their right thumbs, and their right big toes. And some of the blood then was mingled with the anointing oil and then sprinkled on their garments to consecrate them and their service to the Lord. And like the peace offering, again, we'll learn about the peace offerings in Leviticus, but like the peace offering, they were able to have a portion of the offering, to consume a portion of it, in a sense, having communion with God there at the temple or the tabernacle. So we read about this third offering in verses 19 through 25. It says, You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of their right hand and on their big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys, the fat on them. And the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread. That is before the Lord. And you shall put these in the hands of Aaron, in the hands of his sons. And you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them up on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord, it is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So again, identifying with these things, they're placed in their hands and then put back on the altar, but only a portion this time. The whole ram is not burned up, but only a portion. It became a wave offering before the Lord. So the purpose of the blood on the the right ear and the right thumb and the right toe. This was the verse, my next door neighbor. And I can still remember him to this day sitting out on his front porch and reading the Bible. And I thought, that is so cool. And I'll have to talk to him about the Lord and see where he's at. And uh, we did. We had that conversation um, over a period of time. They're no longer our neighbors there, but... He had told me maybe a few years later when I'd seen him reading the Bible, he came to Exodus 29, verse 20, and he thought, this doesn't make sense. Blood on the right ear, on the thumb, and on the 
right so. And he closed the Bible and he said he did so for over a year. It's just like it doesn't make sense. And I said, well, the blood on the right ear meant that the priest was supposed to hear from God. And the blood on the tip of the right thumb meant that the priest was supposed to be doing the work of God. And the blood on the tip of their toe meant that the priest was supposed to walk in the ways of God. And so it was very significant connecting with the sacrifice itself and the blood of the sacrifice identifying them with the work that the Lord had called them to. And it's a great reminder to us as well that we should desire to hear the word of God, to do the work of God and to walk in the ways of God. So then they're given a portion of this offering, the offering of consecration in verses 26 and 28. He goes on to say, and this is the same offering, you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord and it shall be your portion. So this is the portion for Moses. And from the ram of consecration, you shall sanctify the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, and that which is for Aaron and that which is for his sons. So they also receive a portion. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statue forever. And so this is something when the priest would offer uh, an offering of consecration, a peace offering to the Lord, that the priest would get his portion, like Moses does here, as a sense, part of his payment for the service uh, to the people of Israel. But then the people themselves, with the peace offering, would also get a portion, and they were to eat the portion in the temple grounds, Aaron and his sons also, in verse 28. It shall be from the children of Israel and Aaron for the sons by a statue forever, for it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifice of their peace offerings. That is their heave offering before the Lord. And so they would have a memorial portion that we will read about. Uh, Aaron and his sons would have to consume that all offering there before the Lord in Leviticus 10. 12 and 13, talking about the peace offering. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons who were left. He has four sons at this point, but two of the sons uh, would not be obedient to the Lord, so they would be uh, blotted out of the picture. So by Leviticus 10:12, he's speaking to Aaron and his two remaining sons. Take the grain offering that remains of the offering made by fire to the Lord and eat it with, without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in the holy place because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord. For so I have commanded. So they would have their portion from the peace offerings that the people would offer to the Lord. The remainder of this became this uh, sweet aroma to the Lord. Having communion with God is the idea of this. They would, The Lord would have his portion burned up on the altar, and then the priest, and then in the peace offering, the people offering the peace offering would also have a portion that they could consume in the temple area and have communion with God. So 29 through 37, we find that this is a seven-day process. The ceremony would last for seven days with a bull being offered each day as a sin offering before the Lord. And these seven days not only consecrated Aaron and his sons for the priesthood, but also was consecrating the altar for the service uh, in the children of Israel there at the temple They were actually consecrating the altar itself to make it holy unto the Lord. Verses 29, we pick up reading the holy garments of Aaron and his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them that the sons who become priests in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meaning to minister in the holy place. 
You shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And those who eat these things, which the atonement was made to consecrate, to sanctify them, but strangers shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or the bread remains until morning, it shall be burned up with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I commanded you. Seven days you consecrate them and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar with which you make atonement for it. You shall anoint it and sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. And whatever touches the altar must be holy. So this was a a seven-day-long process that they had to stay there at the temple as they were being consecrated in their service as priests before the Lord, but also the altar itself we find is being consecrating at this time. In First Chronicles six forty nine we have there in First Chronicles six we have the uh, genealogy of Aaron, but it begins by saying this First Chronicles six forty nine but Aaron and his sons offered sacrifices on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for the work of the most holy place to make atonement for Israel according to all that Moses the servant of God commanded. And so this is what the Lord commanded Moses to instruct the children of Israel and in anointing and preparing and consecrating Aaron and his sons to be the priest of Israel. So the daily offerings we learn about in verses 38 through 46 In verses 38 and 39, it tells us now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Two offerings each day, once in the morning, once at twilight. And the two lambs were to be in verse 38 of the first year. And it was to be day by day, continually. And these two, in verse 41, a sweet aroma unto the Lord made by fire. They were to be offered day by day, month after month, year after year. And the Lord would meet there with the children of Israel at the door of the temple with his Shekinah glory, where he promised to dwell in the camp of Israel. In verse 45 and 46, I will dwell with the children of Israel. I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Although we are not accustomed to seeing sacrifices being performed, this is what Christ did for us through his work upon the cross. He paid the penalty of our sins. By his blood, we then, our sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And it's by faith that we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, that we might be a people who would be willing to hear God's word, to do the work of the Lord. Think about the hand, you work with your hands, and to walk in the ways of God all the days of our lives. So I think Exodus 29, verse 20 Chapter 29, verse 20 is significant. And that blood being applied to the tips of their ears, to the tip of their right thumb, to the tip of the right toe, the big toe, that they might hear from the Lord, that they might do the work of the Lord, that they might walk in the ways of the Lord. So now we look at the daily washings in Exodus chapter 30. Again, verse 20, the key verse that I have picked for this chapter, it says, And when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So the ceremonial washing, something the priest had to do 
Um, and we'll read about the bronze laver here in Exodus chapter 30. So now we're jumping back to some of the furnishings of the tabernacle. We've learned of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the menorah and the table of showbread and the altar, bronze altar. We've learned about the constructing of these, but we had not learned yet about the altar of incense nor the brown lever um, where the priest would wash. And he's also going to talk about the ransom money and the anointing oil and the incense, all these things that were identified with the tabernacle and then later on the temple of God. In chapter 30, verse 1, we pick up learning about the altar of incense in verses 1 through 10. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. It's a cubic shall be its length and a cubit its width. And it shall be a square and two cubics shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay its top and its sides all around and its horns with pure gold. You shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall put or make for it under the moldings on both sides. You shall place them on its two sides and they will be holders for the poles in which to bear it. You shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and you shall put them before the altar, put the altar before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning, and when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. So in the evening when he tends and lights the lamps, and once again he lights incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a meal offering or a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it through your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So this altar of incense, it was in the holy place of the tabernacle, later on the holy place of the temple, not in the holy of holies. In the holy of holies was the mercy seat that held the Ten Commandments, the jar that had manna in it and Aaron's rod that budded. There was a box, a golden box made of acacia wood overlaid with gold that held the Ten Commandments, the jar of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. And then the lid of the box was the mercy seat. That was the only thing that was in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest once a year was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. He actually would enter twice to make atonement first for himself, and then he would come out offer sacrifices again and make atonement by sprinkling blood upon uh, the mercy seat for the nation of Israel. So he'd enter in twice, actually. And just outside of the Holy of Holies, there was a curtain that separated the two rooms. Outside of that would sit this altar of incense. And so as you walked in, you would have the table of showbread, You would have the menorah and the altar of incense. This is where the priest would minister daily to the Lord, morning and evening. Uh, They would change out the showbread every week. Uh, The menorah they would light every evening. And this altar of incense, only for incense. And only once a year was blood sprinkled upon it on the Day of Atonement. But it was to have these incense being burned upon it morning and evening, continually uh, being burnt up before the Lord. So it was uh, to be one cubic by one cubic, two cubics high. So 18 inches by 18 inches, uh, 36 inches high. So about the average height of a table, but 18 inches, uh, about this, this wide, 
that it would burn before the Lord. It had the golden rings on it, the poles. They were never to touch these things uh, when they would move them. And so that was the rings and the poles to keep them from actually touching them. They were holy to the Lord. And so this incense being burned on the altar was a reminder of the prayers of the saints. As we find in Revelation 8, in verses 3 and 4, another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Remember, the tabernacle was merely a copy of the heavenly. So in heaven, we have a golden altar before the throne. And what do we see being offered upon it? Much incense mingled with the prayers of the saints. A smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the offering, uh, uh, money offering here, the atonement money or the ransom money, as some call it in verses 11 through 16. And the Lord, again, given Moses instruction. When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself. And the Lord, when you number them, that there will be no plague among you when you number them. So, they would, the book of Numbers, we're going to have two senses taken when we get to the book of Numbers at the beginning and the end of the book of Numbers. That's why they call it Numbers. They're counting the men from 20 years old and up, those who are ready for warfare. But the Lord did not allow them to count the men, as it says in verse 12, for when you number them, that there would be no plague among them when you number them. This is something that David would do. He would count his army and God would send a plague upon his people because he was counting to see the strength of his nation. So a way that they got around the counting issue of like everybody line up, okay, one, two, counting the guys, is that they took an offering and all you had to do is count the money. And a half a shekel for every male. It didn't matter how rich you were or how poor you were. This was an annual offering given to the Lord. Half a shekel for every male in the camp from 20 years old and above. And so by counting the amounts of the offering, they knew the number of men. And so it was kind of a way around. They would still know their strength, but they didn't physically count the men as David would do later on through his commander of his army, Joab, and God's wrath would incur upon the children of Israel at that time. So God stipulated this annual offering to be given a half a shekel from every male 20 years old and above, rich or poor of every man, the, the amount was the same. And initially it was used, a portion of it, to make the tabernacle. In Exodus 38, it tells us that in verses 26 through 28, for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. And so we have the number. And from that, in verse 27, they made the silver sockets for the sanctuary, the base of the veil. Uh, one talent, they made each socket. And then from 1,775 shekels, they made the hooks of the pillars and overlaid the capitals and made their bands for them. So they would initially, this initial offering was actually used, the silver used in the three metals that were found in the building of the tabernacle, gold, silver, and bronze. The silver came from this atonement offering that was offered here the first offering for the building of the tabernacle afterwards the annual offerings for the to provide for the operation of the temple and its upkeep the tabernacle and its upkeep there in second samuel 24 david would send 
as I said before the Lord, by having his people numbered, he was looking at his strength. And this temple tax would go all the way to the time of Christ. They were still collecting it in the time of Christ. We read about it in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, when they came to Capernaum. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and says, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter said, Yes, of course. And then Peter went to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you pay the temple tax? He didn't want to be embarrassed. And Jesus responded to him, Matthew 17, 25, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said, verse 26, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. In verse 27, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find the piece of money and take that and give it to them for me and you. Thank you, Jesus. What a unique way of paying taxes. Go fishing, fisherman. So it was a half a shekel, and no doubt he caught a shekel. Um, and that became the temple tax. The Believer Bible Commentary explained this way about this exemption of Jesus in the temple tax. Jesus, the Son of God, to pay tribute for the support of the temple would be equivalent to paying tribute to himself. The sons being free then reminds us of that statement from John 8:36. If the Son of Man sets you free, then you are free indeed. But they were required this annual tax, this annual uh, ransom money for every male 20 years and above. So the bronze levir, the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 17 through 19, you shall say, make a bronze, a levir of bronze and its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. And you shall put water in it for Aaron and his sons and shall wash their hands and feet from the water. So it was placed between the altar. The altar was in the court of the tabernacle. And in the court of the tabernacle, you would first come to the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar. And then between the altar and the tabernacle proper was this levir that they would wash, this wash basin. Bronze reminds us that in the Bible, bronze is connected to judgment. That's why they are outside of the tabernacle. These have to do with the sin offerings and their washing as they would have these ceremonial washings of their hands and feet as they serve before the Lord. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, verses 20 and 21, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. They shall wash their hands, their feet, lest they die. It shall be a statue for them forever to him and his descendants throughout his generations. So Aaron and son, though they were consecrated to serve the Lord as priests, they still needed to daily wash. Now, I love this in the sense of, I believe that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are saved. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. As 1 Corinthians 9.11 reminds us, but such were some of you, talking about all the things we used to might or might have been in times past, some were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You are clean. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Though we are clean and saved, we still walk in this world. We work in this world. We get dirty just by the contact in this world. So there is that need for daily washing. 
In Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water by the word. The washing of the water by the word. So that daily washing, getting into the word of God, cleansing. I even prayed uh, as I came to church this evening before we did worship, before I came to the pulpit, I just asked the Lord to wash me by the water of your word. As I'm teaching uh, to wash us by the water of God's word, we need that daily cleansing. The priests had to daily wash as they served the Lord. So the holy anointing oil, verses 22 through 33. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall take for yourself quantity spice of 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half of which is sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a hen of olive oil, and you shall make from the holy from these the holy anointing oil with ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be holy to the Lord." With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and its utensils, the lampstands, its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and its utensils, the laver and its base. And you shall sanctify them that they shall be most holy. Whoever touches them must be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his son, sanctify them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel that this is be a holy anointing oil to me throughout all your generations. It shall not be poured out on man's flesh, nor shall it make any other like it according to the uh, con- composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any of it like it, whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from the people. We'll read about shall be cut off, put out. Uh, that always means that they should be put to death. This is this is God's anointing oil, and it was to be used by God. And those who would make this would have a sacred trust that was actually passed down from family to family within that family to make this anointing oil. You wouldn't find it on eBay for sale. Get your holy anointing oil, you know, like... We buy anointing oil today, but it is not made of this compound. So this was special. No one else was to use it. It was only to be used there in the temple to anoint the implements of the temple, the tabernacle itself, the furnishings of the temple, and the priest. It was to be poured on the priest, as we learn in Leviticus 8.12. Pour some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anoint him to consecrate him. Um, It was not to be used in any other means other than there in the temple service. There's something about oil being anointed with oil. It was put on his clothing, uh, the priest on his head. You could wash it out of your hair eventually and roll down your beard. You'd wash it out of the beard. It would get on your clothes and it would stain the clothes. It would remind them that they had been marked with the oil. Now, in the Bible, oil speaks about often the work of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit in our lives. And once we are sealed, once we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, we should bear the mark of Christ upon our lives from that day forward. With his anointing, there will be, there's that, Unity to bind us as one, the, to be bound by the Spirit, the Spirit of peace. According to Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we find that oil throughout Scripture significant with the Holy Spirit itself. And so we can have physical anointing. But it's always symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But this oil was special, only for the tabernacle. As as we close out in the holy incense, verses 34 through 38. 
And they were to have this mixture for the incense that the priest would burn on the altar of incense. And it was a special mixture that was only to be used, once again, like the anointing oil, this incense that was compounded together, as it says in verse 35, by the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. It was only to be used in the tabernacle for the burning of incense in the tabernacle. So Aaron couldn't bring any home to burn in the house, in his tent. It wouldn't be allowed. You couldn't make it and sell it to others. It was only to be in the temple. And again, we connect the incense with the prayers of the saints. Revelation 5.8, it says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now these prayers are coming before the throne of God. And, you know, in Revelation, we might think, what prayers? May I suggest to you, The prayers of justice, they're going through the tribulation. The prayers of the saints are saying, How long, Lord, when will you come? And have you ever prayed those how long, Lord, prayers to the Lord? Maybe prayers for justice. Maybe prayers of thy kingdom come, your will be done. Or maybe that prayer that closes out the book of Revelation where we are to pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Or the prayers of the martyrs in Revelation 6.10. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Such prayers are being stored up before the altar of God as incense rising up before the Lord. And one day, God will answer all these prayers. Also, we find that There at the altar of God, there at the true tabernacle of God, we have Christ making intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Aaron and his sons, they were to wash their hands, their feet in water from the bronze Levere before the throne. When they would go to the tabernacle of meeting, when they would come near to minister before the Lord, they were to wash lest they die. Chapter 30 teaches that the priests had to first wash their hands and feet before they could rightly minister before the Lord. It reminds us that in their work and walk in this world, just like all of us, we get dirty and we need to have that daily washing. Jesus told Peter when he was washing his disciples' feet there in John 13:10. He told Peter, "He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet." Peter protested when the Lord came to him and said, "Let me wash your feet." And he said, "No, no way. You're not going to wash my feet. Wash all of me, but not my feet. That's the role of the lowest servant in the house." And on that occasion, it was the role of Jesus to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus explained, those who are clean have already bathed. They're already clean. They just need to have their feet washed. It reminds us, those who are saved, we're saved. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, but there is that daily washing that's necessary. And if we come to Christ, that we might be washed and made whole. Let's go ahead and stand together. Here on Wednesday evenings, we've been going through the ABCs of salvation for well over a year now. The A stands for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner. And ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And 1 John 1.9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. And for those of us who have already done this in times past, we know that we are redeemed. We know that we are saved. Perhaps it's more so on a daily basis, asking God, 
Wash me by the water of your word. We also, the B, need to believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension back to the Father. Receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. We need to believe in that work. And C is for confessing, confessing our faith in Jesus Christ, not only to God, but sharing that faith with others. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth... With the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope for the church that's here with us in the building tonight that we have accomplished these things, admitting, believing, confessing. But perhaps somebody hearing on the radio tonight somebody uh, watching through social media and the videos at a later time, whenever you hear this message, if you have questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday at 10 a.m., we'll be continue our chronological journey through the Gospels. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of putting all these things together, but actually uh, getting Jesus now into that first great year of ministry in the Galilee, his year, what the theologians call the year of popularity. So he's shifted from Jerusalem, his baptism, his preaching, his cleansing of the temple, um, John the Baptist then is arrested. Jesus leaves the epicenter of Jerusalem because it's not his hour. He goes to the Galilee. We began looking at this last week. We'll continue looking at it this coming Sunday in a message that I entitled Anointed to Set Us Free. So I look forward to being with you this coming Sunday here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa or through our radio ministry or through our social media pages. And now you can go to our uh, church's webpage. You can actually download a church app on your phone or your device and have it with you wherever you're at. We're getting fancy with these things right now. But I was talking to Bob earlier um, before church, and he was saying, we could use some help. There's a lot of things that we could do with uh, the Internet and apps and all these things. But you can only do the things that you're able to do with the people that you have serving in those areas. So if you're looking for an interesting uh, ministry, perhaps uh, some of the online ministry that we're looking to accomplish in the future, we had I had somebody email me today who just finished listening to our Revelation series that I taught last year at the church, but it's on our website. He just finished listening to it, I guess today, this morning, and he asked, how can I help? So he doesn't attend our church, but he, he asked that question, how can I help? And so maybe there's others who would like to help as well. I know we can use it. Many hands do easy work. What a blessing it's been to be with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this night, a time to look into your word, to worship in song. Tomorrow, Lord, is um, what is deemed in our nation the National Day of Prayer. And here at this church, Lord, we have not set up an event for prayer. We just a couple of weeks ago, came off of a five-day fast where we were meeting each night in prayer. But had I known, Lord, the decisions that would have unfolded this week, perhaps we would have made different plans. Lord, we realize with 
Supreme Court rulings that perhaps are coming in the next month or two in our nation, the turmoil that's already began uh, surrounding this Roe versus Way. Lord, I pray for your nation to be in prayer for this nation, for your people tomorrow, even though we may not meet together, that we lift up the needs of this nation before you. Our needs are great. We need you, Lord, to send revival. Our country is in a mess. And most of the country, they don't even know it. They're blind to the truth. So, Father, open our hearts that we might see. Cleanse your church, the daily washing of your word. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Help us, Lord, to do your work with our hands. Help us, Lord, to walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, to wash daily by your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.